You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, Episode 7. Hey there, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Episode 7 of the MaritimeGardening.com Podcast. And once again, I'm joined with Mr. Greg Otten. How are you doing today, Greg? Just great. Awesome. So we've done six episodes. We're, we're pretty pleased with that. We've got this show up and running. If you haven't had a chance to listen to those yet, by all means, just go to MaritimeGardening.com and you can find all the episodes there listed in chronological order. Um, so what are we going to uh, talk about to, in today's show, Greg? Well, planting season is drawing to a close. I mean... Mm. You can plant right till the end of June, depending on what you plant, how many days it takes, et cetera, et cetera. We've only got so much more time to plant. So I thought I'd talk about vegetables that you're, you're likely to have a high success rate with. And the idea, the reason for that is just that for anyone that's new to gardening, I mean, this, this shows for, for anyone, whatever stage of gardening you're at. But I imagine it's probably, at least this season anyway, I'm generally speaking, directing it at the new gardener. Now, that being said, if you're a seasoned gardener, there's still lots of pearls of wisdom, I guess, sure. because I'm yeah, talking about... Per you might be a seasoned gardener, but you've never tried permaculture before. Right. Or there just might be... You can, it doesn't matter what you listen to. There's always some little trick you've never heard before. It's right. the beauty of gardening. You never master it. You just keep getting a little better every year incrementally. Sure. You keep sure. just sort of fumbling around. and Yeah. You know, um, so it's always worth listening to something new. Yeah. But... There's, there's nothing more demoralizing than, you know, you get an idea in your head in the spring. I'm gonna, this, this is the year. This is the year I'm going to have a garden. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to have all these vegetables. I'm going to be healthy. I'm going to be successful at it. And you plant all this stuff and like half of it dies. <laughs> yeah. And it's really demoralizing. I mean, every year I have things that uh, get attacked. Right. Um, and I'll, like just the other morning, I looked out in my garden and an entire row of beans was gone. Like it was there the day before, and it just disappeared uh, from slugs. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I probably killed about 20 slugs that morning just out of a sheer rage. But uh, <laughs> I killed more if I could have found them. But uh, yeah, so, you know, things happen, right? Right. So anyway, it's it's good to plant things. If you're early on in your gardening uh, journey, uh, it's good to plant things that you're going to have some success with because – you're just going to have a, a more positive vibe from that season, and you're going to want to do more the next year. Mm -hmm. Success is always good. Yeah, well, it <laughs> makes, it, success makes is it bad. feel like you're doing something right. Yeah, exactly, especially mm -hmm. if you're a new gardener. You don't want to have your first attempt be a complete catastrophe. Right, right. right. Um, so that's the point of today's episode. We're going to list off 10 things you can plant with a couple honorable mentions. There's still no guarantees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, I but think you got a good shot. Yeah, and I mean, 10, 10, 10 vegetables is a lot of things to plant. You'd need more than one bed to plant these 10. So, right. you know, I would choose from among these. So I need a drum roll. Ring. Yeah, well, we in no particular order, I guess. Yeah. Although I think I am starting with, I actually, number one is the easiest damn thing to plant. And we talked about um, that on last week's episode. That's or, right. So the first two things are the same things we talked about last week, which is why I went into them to such extent so that we right. wouldn't have to do that. Right, today. Today. 
So number one, potatoes, the easiest thing to grow. Put them in the ground. Two months later, you can start eating potatoes. Nice. And you can pretty much, uh, I don't think I mentioned this, you, you leave your, you know, once your potatoes, they'll grow and then they'll turn sort of yellow, the leaves will get spotted and then they'll just die. The plants will fall down. You don't have to pick them then. You can leave them in the ground right up till like the end of December. Hmm. Um, and in some cases, you can probably leave them longer. It depends on if your soil is going to freeze. Uh, I tend to take them out by then because my soil tends to freeze up here. It's quite cold. But if you were in a, a unique microclimate where you're, let's say you could throw a bunch of leaves and hay over your soil and it wouldn't freeze, I guess you could leave them in the ground. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I take mine out, you know, around the end of December and uh, put them somewhere dark and cool in a box and eat them as I need them. And I always put a few aside for seeds the next day. Nice. And they seem to do better if you do that. Like it's, the longer you leave them in the ground, they just seem to improve and improve and improve. There's no rush to take them out and they'll keep in the ground better than anywhere else. Yeah. Right? So the longer you can delay harvesting them, the longer they'll keep. Interesting. So why rush? Yeah. They taste better than the store-bought ones and they also cost less once you grow them. Right. You, you know, so it's, it's all around a good idea. Mm-hmm. Even though potatoes are relatively cheap to buy, yeah. they're still cheaper to grow. Beans... Again, very easy to grow. The bush variety of beans is the easiest to grow. You don't need to build any sort of trellis. They're self-supporting. They tend to be very uh, heavy yielding bush variety. There's a variety that I plant. I I plant a number of varieties, but I find the variety called Provider is very reliable. Um, They're good eating, but they're also just very reliable. A lot of kinds of beans, they don't like to be in the ground too early. They'll rot or... Maybe uh, the slugs really love them. Provider seems to be very reliable. I've planted a number of varieties and different varieties I have different success with. Provider is always a winner. And it's also an heirloom variety, so you can save the seeds and plant them the next year. So cool. you buy like a pack of seeds and then you're good conceivably forever. Yeah. Uh, also, you know, if you save your seeds, they'll tend to be very, very viable seeds uh, uh, I don't know if all plants are like this, but certainly beans, when you save your own bean seeds, those seeds just take off. Hmm. And as Jim rule of thumb, provider is a dark seed. I read this somewhere, and I've, I've seen this, but I've never done a scientific test. But I read somewhere that beans with dark seeds tend to be more rot resistant than beans with uh, lighter okay. colored seeds. Uh, if you plant a bean and the soil's too cool or the soil's too wet or too wet and cool, the seed will just die. Okay. So it's a very careful balance of, you know, you want to plant it as early as you can, but not too early. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you plant it three days too early, they're all gone. And that's what happened with, I had a, I had two, actually two rows. I had a row of beans die because they get ate by slugs. And then I had another exotic variety that was supposed to be really cool and really tasty. And I checked them three days ago and they were all rotten. Yeah. And I planted them June 1st, Wow! which normally is fine for beans. I mean, I've planted beans in the middle of May and they've taken off. So this variety must really rot easily. Yeah. Well, we've had some weird weather. Yeah, weather's been kind of loud. Yeah. Not as bad as last year, but no. But that being said, this has still been one of the coolest springs I've ever yeah, seen. It yeah, it is. It truly I don't is. know. If, I mean, I was in the valley last week on Monday and it was... Hot. Phenomenal. Um, so I'm sure yeah. the whole province isn't like the valley is a special place. Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, yeah. certainly where I am, out, you know. Uh, on the it, ocean. Near the coast, it's just, yeah. it's, you know, it's yeah. perpetual early spring here. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so that's beans. One thing I also didn't mention last week is that uh, once your beans start to get of an edible size, and I could go into detail with what that means, but if you eat beans and you pick beans, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Once they get too big, they start getting um, this sort of string down the side, right? and that string will stick between your teeth. And they're yes, just, it does. It's, some people might call that woody. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, you know, an, a bean, it, it can go from perfect to woody in a matter of a couple of days. Mm. Um, so some varieties take a lot longer to get like that, so I'm right. not going to give you a rule of thumb. But, but you'll know, whatever bean you're growing, it's got a size where it's tender and soft, and then a size where it's more woody. And, and once it becomes woody, it's 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 switching gears and it's trying to produce seeds. Uh, okay. Right. So <clears throat> you, yeah. when you when you pick a bean to eat as a green bean, um, you want the seeds immature. Right. So that the because you're really eating the pod, you're eating the seeds and the pod, but you're, most of it's sort of this watery pod. Yeah. Um, but once the bean starts trying to become a seed, yeah. the pod becomes like sacrificial. Yeah. yeah. Pods just being used up and it's it's just a casing. Right, right. Once those once the pods get to that size where they start to taste just right, you're gonna have to pick beans every two days until they're done. And a bush bean's gonna give you beans every every two days for about two weeks, maybe three. Between two weeks and four weeks, depending on the variety, but you know, it's a it's a relatively short period of time. They're they're they've got like a, a countdown. Okay. Bush beans don't just keep going. Pole beans will keep going until it gets cold. Bush beans have a termination date. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you got to go out there with a bowl every two days, and if you do that, it'll pr- propagate growth. They'll start putting out more flowers and growing more. So you, if you if you harvest every two days, you'll get more beans as well. So you're going to get better beans and more beans. Okay. And uh, very good to pick them in the morning. Most 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 things in general, it's good to go out in the morning. So if you have to go to work. Um, you go out, you know, you go out in the morning before all of that. Yeah. And you pick what you're going to eat that day, you put it in a bowl, you stick it in the fridge, and you go to work. Um, cool. Because everything's at its biggest and best at the end of the evening. Okay. Plants, you know, they get there some dew, they do all their drinking, they sort of grow a bit, they do all their growing overnight. Yeah. They spend their day collecting sun and getting all that energy, and then they spend the night turning that into more. <laughs> Cool. <laughs> and into growth, yeah. generally speaking. Yeah. Uh, peas, uh, beans uh, don't mind uh, poor soil. I think I mentioned that before. So if you've got a stretch of soil that's not the best and you don't want to go crazy amending it, just put beans in there. They'll actually improve the soil and they don't mind. I mean, they, they don't mind awesome soil either, um, yeah. but they don't mind poor soil. So vegetable number three, peas. Really same set of rules for beans, except that peas... Start giving. You can plant them very early in the year. You can plant them in like April, but they're only going to give you peas until sometime in July, and then they're done. They don't like heat. Okay. They'll just give up. Um, they'll just stop. You'll, you'll just notice they'll something. The plant won't look healthy anymore. It'll stop putting out flowers, and it's done. You mm-hmm. can buy bush varieties. You can buy pole varieties of peas. I have found that the uh, there's snow peas, but there's yeah. also Snap peas. Snap peas, yeah. And the snap peas, in my opinion, are the better ones. Right. The snow peas tend to get woody faster. You okay. have to pick them like every single day. They grow, they, they mature very quickly, but you know, the, the line of the, the time between it being good and not good is really short. Whereas yeah. the snap peas, they can be big, they can be small, they're all really good. So I find a snap pea is a better one. Uh, snap peas have um, climbing and bush varieties. But the bush, unlike with the bean, where you've got a bush variety that it supports itself, 
um, even though the pea is called a bush pea, it doesn't support itself. They'll tip over and go all over the place. Uh, okay. At least that's been my experience. So if you're going to plant bush peas, and they can be useful because they, they sort of mature faster, you have to put some, some sort of structure up for them to, to support them. Maybe some chicken wire or you know, there's, there's various approaches to trellising them. But the bush peas will grow about three feet high and then they'll stop growing. Okay. Whereas climbing peas will go six, seven, eight feet high, depending on how good your soil is, how good your sun is, how much water there is, the variety, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. They can go anywhere from five to eight feet tall, depending on all of those things. So uh, that's peas. But they're, generally speaking, very easy to grow, and they don't mind poor soil either, and they also improve soil. Right. And they're really tasty. I mean, peas are so sweet and so nice. Uh, they're just a great thing to grow. And you'll get, it'll be one of the first things you can start eating out of your garden, so you'll be really you know, pleased to have something to eat. Uh, next thing, a green Swiss chard. There's lots of different kinds of greens you can grow, and I'm not saying only grow this one, but from what I have experienced, Swiss chard is the most bolt and pest resistant of all the greens. Uh, a lot of greens have this problem called bolting, where at some point in the summer, when it's hot, the, the green decides that it wants to start flowering. Yeah. And once it starts flowering, the, the actual green, you, you're not growing it for a flower or for a seed, you're growing it for the greenery. And once it goes to flower, the greenery changes flavor and just doesn't, it becomes bitter, it doesn't taste good anymore. And the greenery kind of stops growing. The whole plant says, okay, I'm not about greenery now, I'm about the next generation. It's, it's you know, it's an annual plant, it's saying, okay, let's go for it, let's make some seeds. Right. It's, it's, we're going to die. <laughs> Once yeah. it gets really hot, the plant says it's too hot for me. The jig's up. Yeah. I'm just going to make some seeds and die. Yeah. So it's really not good to eat after that. But Swiss chard seems to take the longest to do that. I don't know why, but I've found lettuce can bolt and uh, you know, um, lots of different varieties of lettuce can bolt. But Swiss chard doesn't tend to do that. And also Swiss chard, you can pick, you don't have to pick the whole plant. You can take off individual leaves. So if you have a couple rows, every time you want Swiss chard, you just take the bigger leaves off from all the, you know, take a leaf off every plant sort of thing. And you'll have nice. basically like one whole plant's worth of leaves. But each, each plant's only been reduced by 10%, which yeah. you can totally handle. And they also tend to be very pest resistant. I've got lots of pests in my garden. It's a constant problem. And uh, slugs tend to favor other greens over Swiss chard. They, I mean, I love to eat uh, spinach, but and I have spinach, but I have found Swiss chard is more reliable. Um, slugs tend to prefer spinach over Swiss chard, for instance. Mm. And same with uh, flea beetles and things like that. Swiss chard is sort of at the bottom of the pest list. All those things will eat Swiss chard, but they seem to prefer other things to it. Yeah. And if you eat Swiss chard raw, you'll find it's got this sharp taste. Uh, I think it's called oxalic acid. Okay. So I'm sure that's an, an adaptation. It's, it's developed over the years to just keep things from eating it. Yeah. But once you cook it, that oxalic acid gets neutralized or something. It does, you know, once you cook Swiss chard, it tastes great, especially if you smother it in butter and salt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, most things do. Uh, varieties I like uh, giant Ford hook and Lucillus in terms of just ease of growth and uh, reliability. I've tried planting those rainbow Swiss chards. I've found they're kind of unimpressive, uh, unreliable. The ones that aren't you know selected for that color trait 
for me anyway, tend to grow bigger, better, faster. Yeah. Um, so I can give up the color for that because bigger, better, faster is always tends to be better tasting. Yeah. Now the next one, number five. This is one. People, I've never, I never grew these till a number of years ago because I always thought they were something exotic. Uh, strawberries. You can go to a garden center, and if you can get the bare root variety, you can buy like 20 strawberry plants for 10 bucks. And that's a lot of strawberries. I mean, one of those plants will put out probably 20 strawberries. One of those bare roots, so one of those 20 will put out about 20 strawberries once the plants really mature. So that's a lot of strawberries. Yeah, that's a lot. Uh, And... uh, I mean, it's pretty forgiving of, of different kinds of soil. Like most things, it prefers fertile soil. Uh, very easy to grow. You, you put it in the ground and you sur- you cover the ground with a good mulch. I use uh, hay. Mm-hmm. Uh, straw is probably better because it's less weedy. I'm yeah. sure uh, I've, I've grown them on wood chips. Wood chips works fine too. So whatever you've got at your disposal. And if you get a variety that's ever-bearing, like the one I use, uh, uh, Seascape, you get a crop. Like if you planted them this year, you get intermittent strawberries throughout the summer and then you get a crop in the fall. But once that plant's mature, you're going to get a sizable crop of strawberries in June. Then you're going to get, let's say, a bowl a week all summer long. And then you're going to get a ton of strawberries in the fall. Hmm. So it's a fruit. I mean, your garden's going to bear fruit all summer long. You're going to have this, and they're really. Good tasting. The two varieties I'm aware of that's available around here are called uh, that are ever bearing like that are Albion and uh, Seascape. They're really nice. I, uh, good tasting. You know, there's different varieties too. There's most the strawberries that when you when you buy them in the store, what you're buying is what's called June bearers. So okay. it's a strawberry that just bears its fruit in June and it's done. Mm-hmm. And they June bears. I think the reason that they grow those is they're probably very you know, pest resistant or I'm not exactly sure. I mean, traditionally, strawberries only bore at June. These ones that bear all summer long and that sort of thing, that's through a lot of selective, you know, uh, breeding. And, and they've, those right. varieties have been developed. Yeah. Sort of shut off that, you know, it's summer, you're not a strawberry anymore, you're just a green. Mm. But, you know, if you're paying, why not get one that's going to give you strawberries? I, I haven't found any real flavor difference. I think the June bearers maybe produce more berries in June. Right. Like you get a huge crop, but then it's done. So for me personally, I mean, I certainly get enough. I get, I get plenty in June where I'm, I'm eating them till they're coming out my ears and I'm making jam. And then all summer long, we got strawberries to put in our salads or snack on or whatever. And then in the fall, we got bowls and bowls of strawberries again. And we're trying to keep up making jams and stuff. So I prefer those ever bearing varieties. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot you need to know to keep them going, there's, you know, I'll probably talk about another episode about how to manage your strawberries. We're going to do a couple episodes later on about just the things you have to do. Once you're done planting things, how do you, now everything's planted, now how do you keep everything going? Yeah. We'll talk more about managing strawberries uh, in another episode, but it's really not that big a deal. It's not the overwhelming task that some people might make it out to be, and there's some things you can do to make it even easier um, that I've tried and work. So, cool. totally worth doing, although... Really, you can't, it's a bit too late this year to plant them. I was just in the garden center yesterday, and then all the uh, ever-bearing varieties were gone, and they weren't getting any more. So yeah. <laughs> something yeah. to think about next year anyway. Yeah, yeah. So that's uh, strawberries. Now, 
Another thing I'm going to talk about here, I'm just going to mention lots of, uh, I'm going to mention a herb. There's lots of different kinds of herbs, and <laughs> many herbs are easy to grow. But a lot of herbs, especially the perennials, really difficult or time-consuming or tedious or whatever to grow from seed. Now, this is an herb that grows from seed really easily, and that's dill. Mm. Put a few rows of dill in your garden. You won't be sorry. They're, they're really pest-resistant. The pests don't like them at all. Okay. So it's always good to have, like, you never make a dill garden. You, you put dill in between rows of other things. Like if you had a garden with uh, carrots, mm -hmm. in between your carrot rows, you'd make a dill row. And it, they'll get along just fine. But nothing's going to eat that dill, not a thing. So it's a good thing to put in with other plants. And, you know, they grow really nice. They're beautiful tasting herb. They cost a fortune to buy in the grocery store. Oh, yeah. Um, they're wonderful with your salmon or with different kinds of dishes. Also, in the fall when you're preserving, you know, if you're going to be making pickles and stuff like that, yeah. you can put the dill in there. Um, at whatever stage the dill's at, if the plant's big and woody, and it, it doesn't matter because you want that powerful taste. You don't want the nice, mm. delicate, young taste. You want mm. that powerful taste in with your pickles. So it, it timed just right. Right. And you've got the dill seeds and all that sort of stuff. And you can save, if you get a, an heirloom variety, you can save your seeds and plant the seeds the next year. So, And I've noticed that it's pretty hardy. I mean, the, I've got dill coming up all over one of my gardens. So I, I had dill there the, the, the year before, and it must have gone to seed because I've got dill coming up everywhere like a weed. Oh, yeah? I've been moving them around because, you know, for me, everything has to be in a row. Right. Uh, so I can't have the crazy hippie garden sort of thing. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, you know, sort of moving the, adjusting it because uh, I want it to be, well, I want to know where it is. So I, it's, it's just easier to keep track of things. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a great, great herb to grow. Uh, I would include parsley in that list too. Okay. And that's not one of my top ten. But, you know, dill and parsley, they're, they're ones you can start from seeds that plant the seeds very early, very early in the year like, you know, April, May, and they'll come up when they're ready. They won't rot. Okay. And parsley is an underrated herb. I mean, that's something, you know, if you grew up like I did, it, parsley was this thing you had on your plate when you went to a restaurant and you threw it away when you left. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But it's, it's a very, very healthy herb to eat. And you can, you know, if you make, uh, you know, Mediterranean-style dishes, you can add it to a lot of things. It's very healthy. I mean, you just tell when you eat parsley, you're, it's just full of lots of vitamins and minerals. It's really good for you. Yeah. Well, I guess one thing I would say, if you're going to, a lot of people like to grow herbs. I don't really understand the fascination with them because you can't, they're not, <laughs> not very calorie rich. Uh, <laughs> they right. do make your food tastes good. But if you're buying herbs, you know, if you're going to buy transplanted herbs, one smart thing to do is to buy perennial herbs that are going to keep coming back every year. So you spend $3.99. Herbs are, are not cheap. You know, like herbs cost, yeah. you could buy. You know, you can buy six tomato plants for buck ninety nine or two ninety nine at a garden center. Yeah, you can buy one parsley plant for three ninety nine. <laughs> so if you're buying herbs, it's smart to just look at the information on that herb and see if it's a perennial. Yeah, and if it is a perennial, make sure it's zone six or zone five or zone four or less. Uh, often you'll see it'll say perennial. I bought some bay leaves once. Is it perennial? I said, oh, that's great. And, uh, it never came back. Wrong zone. Uh, because it was for zone 9 or 10, Yeah, which is not here. No. <laughs> um, same with, uh, I think I've got, I've got some rosemary. Mm -hmm. And the rosemary is for zone 8. So the rosemary I planted last year, it actually didn't die. It's coming up very slowly, like it had the tar kicked out of it. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I'm amazed that it survived, especially where I am. Maybe if I'd covered it with a foot high of hay or something insulative, it might have done better. Right. Uh, and you can play with that sort of thing. But that being said, if you want low maintenance, you buy herbs that are for your zone. And you can certainly find your, your classic uh, Italian-type herbs in that category. You can find oregano. You can find savory. You can find thyme. Yeah. You can find a lot of those herbs that are perfectly fine for this zone. You plant them once and they just keep coming in. They get bigger and bigger and better and thicker and heavier every year. So it's it's good value for your money. I, I bought one oregano plant in you know, 2010 and I, uh, now I've got like six oregano plants from that plant and they're all huge. Mm. And, uh, and on and on and on, you know, I'm just going to get more and more in oregano until I feel that I've got all the oregano I could possibly yeah. plant. <laughs> Yeah. And one more thing about herbs, since we're on the topic, for the love of God, don't plant mint in with any of your gardens. Mm. Don't put it in with your herb garden. Don't put it in with your vegetable. Unless you want a garden full of mint, don't put it in what anywhere. Because it, it is it behaves like a invasive species. It's, wherever mint is, it wants to make everything mint. You'll have mm. it everywhere. It'll grow. It just sends roots out everywhere, and you, you can't get it out. Once it's in, it's almost impossible to get out. It's... It's prat. I mean, aside from the fact that it's, it makes a really nice tea and it's good on lamb, um, it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a real pesky plant because it just insists on taking over, colonizing everything. Really? So if you want to have mint, you know, plant it in the ditch near your house. <laughs> plant it in some. I have it like behind my wood pile. Uh, you know, and I want mint. I can go there and just grab it by the handful and make tea. Who cares? You know, yeah. uh, it, it's you know, it's a beautiful plant, but if you put it in your ornamental gardens or your, you know, your your main gardens, it's it's just, you're, geez, you're never going to get it out. Um, I mean, the roots go everywhere and they just keep coming back. I would advise against that. Okay. I just spent like a day yesterday. Someone put a mint in the corner of a garden that was three feet by twenty five feet long. One plant in the corner a couple years ago. The whole thing was mint. The lawn was mint. Oh yeah. Mint was everywhere. Maybe I should and, plant mint in my lawn. And I mean, I pulled it out everywhere, but it's there's no way that it is not coming back. Mm. No way. I would yeah. have had to bring in a front-end loader and scoop, <laughs> go down two feet and remove. Even then, yeah. I wouldn't, you know, bet the house on it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's an incredibly resilient plant. Once it gets established, um, it just takes over. Hmm. Okay, it's enough about herbs. So uh, another easy thing to grow uh, onion sets. You can buy onions as a seed, but they take a very long time. So if you go to a garden center, you can buy the, you can see these little onion bulbs. They'll sell them in a bag of like a hundred mm-hmm. and you just pop those in the ground. Again, just like uh, dill, you put the onion sets between rows of things. So if you've got a garden with rows of tomatoes, you put the onions in between the rows of tomatoes, they'll be fine because they don't have a big pile of foliage, right? It's just a spike. Right, right. So they can get along with things and uh, onions are very pest resistant. You you know you could have some bug fly into your garden, and just through random chance, it doesn't land on the delicious plant. It lands on the onion. Yeah, takes a bite and then says, "Oh my God, I'm out of here. This is the <laughs> worst thing I've ever tried." Doesn't try anything else because oh, really? onion practically kills it. It's so bad. Huh. Well, if you ever want to see how how a bug would result respond to an onion, just take your you know your five year old out into the garden and. Yeah. Eat an, eat an onion green and say, here, try them. They're really good. Yeah, Once yeah. your kid reacts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Same thing. 
I did it with my daughter last week. Yeah. Um, she spit it out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she might have cried. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an acquired taste. <laughs> yeah. Raw onion green. So, um, very easy to grow, good pest deterrent, uh, you know, and you don't need to, they don't need to have their own space. They can sort of get jammed in between things. Yeah. And same thing, uh, garlic, and you plant, you plant onions in the, in the spring or, or now, you can still plant onions now if you can find the, the, the bulbs and they're not, they haven't started to sprout too much. But another thing in that same category is garlic. Now, you can't plant garlic right now. I plant mine around Thanksgiving, you know, mid-October. Yeah. You plant garlic just like you'd plant a tulip. You plant them in the fall. They're an extraordinary pest to turn. They start coming up, like my garlic's almost three feet high now. Mm. So it's great to have in your garden because when everything's barely growing, you look like you've got a good garden because you've got these big green things growing. Mm. Nothing, nothing, as far as I can tell, nothing eats garlic. The only thing that eats garlic is people. Yeah. <laughs> There's just nothing... You know, you'll see the odd slug bite, but there's like one bite, and that slug is gone, right? Yeah. Um, nothing eats garlic. So it's a great pest deterrent because, you know, what I'll do is if I have a 4 by 10 garden, I'll put a row of garlic at either end of the garden and one in the middle. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like a forced field. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I don't have them in all my gardens, but I got half my garden beds have garlic in them and uh, you know, I, I, I save garlic and replant it the next year. So my, my goal is to have garlic everywhere in my garden because it seems to be a good pest deterrent. Cool. Also good with vampires. Uh, <laughs> yes. If you're worried about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> better, than, hmm. <laughs> better than wooden spikes. Yeah. Uh, also with garlic, it's not just the bulb you can eat. I mean, right now I've got garlic greens. You wouldn't want to take too many greens off of garlic because you're going to weaken it. But... You know, you can take one off. So you've got the greens. Early in the year, you've got the greens, which taste like garlic. And then uh, partway through the uh, summer, they start putting out these things called garlic scapes or these sort of twisty things, funny-looking flower-type things that grow out of the garlic. They don't really do much for the plant, so you can cut them off and you can dice them up and put them in your food uh, when you're cooking. And they're again, they have a garlicky taste, so they're a garlic okay. substitute. And then, you know, at some point in... Late July, August, you've got the garlic bulb, which you can start picking. Mm. And what I'll tend to do is I pick all the smaller ones. I leave the biggest garlic in right up until sometime in September. You can see, you, know, you just dig down a little bit, you can see if a garlic's really big or small. And I'll put a little ribbon around the really biggest, best ones, and I won't eat them. I'll leave them, and I'll take them out around mid to late September, the biggest, best garlic, and hang them up to dry. And then I break them up and replant those because the biggest, best ones make the best, best cool. plants. Yeah. And same thing, like when you're planting them, don't don't bother. Don't even try. I've tried it. Trust me. I, I'm a cheap. I'm a real cheapskate. <laughs> and I've tried buying like the I cheap, think they know that by then. <laughs> I've tried planting the grocery store ones and I've never had any real success with them. I'm sure there's some kind you can buy that'll work here, but I, I honestly think the majority of them are grown somewhere that's way hotter than here. They're just not the right variety. Yeah. I get mine at the, a garden center. I get the hardneck variety, a variety that's chosen for our conditions here. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you're buying them in a garden center, there's going to be like a big basket full of them. And yeah. pick the biggest, best looking, you know, be choosy, be picky. Just even if you have to take like a 20 minutes, you pick the biggest, best, fattest looking ones you can pick because that's the fuel for next year's plant. And the bigger that garlic is, the better its children are going to be. Yeah. 
and it's a great value. You know, you just get more, and I get more garlic every year because I save about twenty percent yeah. every year. So I get more garlic every year. Okay. I have a goal, just like I have a goal never to buy potatoes again. I have a goal to never buy garlic again. Yeah, uh, yeah. not there yet. <laughs> okay, so last two: uh, carrots and parsnips. When you're planting carrots, plant a lot. You don't plant like a th- at least the way I do. If, if you've got nice, soft, loamy, loose soil, instead of just having one straight line of seeds, I almost plant like a one-inch wide pile of seeds. Mm-hmm. And you're going to get a lot of carrots out of that. But as the summer goes on and the carrots start getting like four inches long, you can start picking out baby carrots, right? So you'll thin them out as you go. And if the soil's soft and loamy, they'll sort of find their own little space. They'll push each other aside. They won't... If your soil is tight and hard, the, tom- the, the carrots will wrap around one another. Right. Um, but if the soil is loose, they'll just find their own. They'll all find their own space. Mm. And you just harvest them as you need them. And while you're doing that, you're with an eye to helping them space themselves. Okay. Right? But also, you can leave your carrots in the ground right until the end of December. They actually improve. Your carrots start to taste really good around October once there's a frost. Right. That, Carrots and parsnips are that same variety, the same thing. They, they really like a frost. Something happens in the plant. Once it gets cold outside, the plant realizes that it's growing time's over. Yeah. And carrots and, and parsnips are biennial. So they, they die, they, they grow the first year, and then the second year they come back and produce a huge plant that's going to have seeds. Yeah. And the way they survive the winter is to produce, change all the starches that are in their root to sugar. Yeah. That change in their composition allows them to survive the winter without freezing. Somehow they can survive the winter because they've switched to that sugar composition. Right. And it also makes them taste a lot better. So yeah. you leave them in as long as you can. I've heard of people leaving them in all winter long and they just cover them with, you know, a couple feet of hay and if the ground doesn't freeze, they'll just go out in the dead of winter and lift the hay up and pick them out of the ground. I tried that one year and the ground froze anyway. Yeah. But that's just my backyard. So, you know, certainly try it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but at the very least, you know, you leave them in as long as you can. There's no point in picking them all if you've got lots. Yeah. Uh, they like the cold. Uh, and the cold improves, improves the flavor. Parsnips, uh, very easy to grow. One thing about parsnips, though, you got to buy your seeds every year or, or at least or propagate your own seeds. Parsnip seeds do not retain their viability. Mm. You, know, you buy parsnip seeds this year, they're good this year. You try to plant this year's parsnip seeds next year, half of them are dead. Yeah, uh, They really don't hold on to their vitality. So there's no point in saving your parsnip seeds. Plant them all. <laughs> yeah. Plant them all. Yeah, but I think you'll find, you know, the beauty of a carrot is that you can eat it raw and they're sweet. Uh, parsnips, not very good raw. But when you roast them, they're out of this world. They blow carrots out of the water when they're roasted. I don't know why that is, but when they're roasted, they're very, very good. And I don't know how they grow the ones you buy in the store. But when you grow your own, maybe the ones in the store aren't harvested in the fall. I don't know. When you grow your own and you start harvesting, I start harvesting mine around Thanksgiving. It's the first meal, like Thanksgiving dinner. That's the first parsnip meal we have of the year. Yeah. And I always really look forward to it and I gorge on them. And then we just eat them every week. Uh, you know, yeah, until yeah. Um, but when you've grown your own in good soil, the flavor is just incredible. They're so good. They're so tasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so totally worth doing. And they're one of those plants where you, you, know, you plant them 
first, second week of April. And once they're well, three inches high, you put a mulch around them, and, and they're, they're relatively pest resistant. They're not porcupine resistant. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I learned that last year, but as long as you have it, you know, they seem to be very pest resistant. So once they're up, you don't do anything. They just grow and grow and grow and grow. And they, and they grow quite large. They're a pretty cool looking plant. People won't know exactly what you've got growing. You just have these big green plants. Right. Um, so totally uh, worth doing. And it's worth leaving, you know, when you harvest all your parsnips, uh, identify a couple of the plants that are really, you can tell, you, you dig down a little bit, you'll see the crown. If the crown's like two inch or three inch diameter crown on the parsnip, leave a couple in, like that in the ground. Mm-hmm. And the following year, it'll grow and put produce a ton of seeds. That's what I did last year, and I planted all my seeds, and they've all come up. Um, so you've got like you, you know those are good, viable, reliable seeds because they're yours. Right on. And, they, and you get to save a dollar ninety nine. Cool. <laughs> totally worth it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I noticed you you didn't talk about kale or tomatoes. Yeah, so um, I'm not saying don't grow those things. Most people, when they put in, especially these days, I mean, traditionally everybody wants to grow tomatoes because there's nothing like your own tomatoes. And uh, these days kale is all the rage, so people want to grow kale. And certainly go for it. The only catch is that um, tomatoes, they have to be, tend to, unless you're really lucky, they're blight prone unless you prune them properly. And sometimes they have to be staked or caged or whatever. And uh, depending on the variety, it may be more or less disease resistant. So there's problems you can run into tomatoes or not. They can be a little demanding. Mm-hmm. That said, I've had years where I've stuck them in the ground and they grew like crazy and everything was fine. Right. Just really depends on where you are, what risks exist in your little backyard. So definitely go for it. But you know, if, if you, you could lose all your, t- I had a season where I lost all my tomatoes and I was a seasoned gardener and I lost them all to blight. Oh, yeah. I never had blight. I never had a blight problem before, so I didn't know how to deal with it. And, um, and some years if blight's really bad, it's just in the air everywhere. You, there's nothing you can do. You're just, yeah. you're just over. Yeah. Uh, but if it's, if it's, there's always some blight around. It's just one of those things that exists. Um, there's things you can do to minimize or mitigate blight. We'll talk about that next week or two. Cool. A uh, kale, and I would include all those, that family, they're all members of that cabbage family, kale, kurabi, collards. There's a host of pests that, I mean, if you don't have them in your area, your kale's going to grow great. Yeah. But if you have them, oh my God, they're going to just hammer you. Slugs love kale. Love it. And uh, caterpillars love kale there's a, there's a there's a species of caterpillar that that you know the butterfly drops its uh, young on the the kale and it's exactly the color of the kale and it literally hides during the day along the vein on the underside of the leaf and you got to look really hard to notice that there's something there even though the caterpillar's almost a couple inches long it's like perfectly kale colored caterpillar mm-hmm. and so it'll be there all day and then at some time in the night it just eats the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's a lot of things that will attack kale. Also, uh, uh, I've got a bit of a problem in my garden right now with flea beetles. And you, you'll you'll have these beautiful looking seedlings or plants, and then you'll go out the next day and it'll look like somebody took a shotgun to them. And huh. that's flea beetle. And it's really demoralizing because you can't even see them. They seem to, you know, or it's, you have to really look closely to find them. They disappear very quickly when you come around. And uh, it's really hard to 
you know, unless you want to put a bunch of toxic stuff on your, there is stuff you can buy. I don't use it, but there's stuff you can buy for all these white powders that you can, you know, coat everything in and they'll kill the flea beetles, but they'll mm. also kill everything. They'll kill, they'll kill yeah. the things that kill the flea beetles. Yeah. <laughs> they'll kill the things that you want. They'll kill bees that pollinator bees, you know, they'll kill everything. So you don't necessarily want to knock out your beneficials. You know, my view on all those kinds of pests is that over time, if you've got an overabundance of one pest, over time in your garden, other things that prey on that are just, they're just going to start showing up because you've got this overabundance of food. And over time, it'll work itself out. But you may lose your entire crop for a couple of years while that's happening. Yeah. Um, so uh, we'll talk in another episode about strategies to uh, get around that that don't involve toxins. I mean, if you if you want to do that, go for it. Uh, I'm not going to judge anybody for what they got to do. You don't want to lose a crop, um, but I'm going to talk about ways to get around that um, that don't involve uh, you know toxic uh, chemicals. So <laughs> yeah. that's why. I mean, sure, if you're new to gardening and if you're someone who likes vegetables, I'm going to guess I'm going to put money on the chance you probably like tomatoes and kale. And certainly go for it, but there, there can. And if you've never had a garden on your property before, year one or two, you're probably going to be fine with those things. Because especially kale, it seems to take a couple years for all those nasty things to start showing up. Because mm -hmm. they don't know that you've got that yet. Yeah. Um, so kale can be good in year one, but at, at some point in time, you're going to just have things show up. Your kale is just going to get starting destroyed, and uh, man, it can be demoralizing. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying don't grow kale. I'm just saying, you know, yeah. if you come out one morning and it's just disappeared, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't blame yourself. You're not a terrible gardener. Uh, <laughs> you're just really unlucky. Well, you uh, might be. There's something that your your kale is so good that something else ate it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, that's your that's your top ten list plus touching on kale and tomatoes, and uh, I think that brings us. We're, we're pushing up around the one hour mark, I think. Time oh, my God. <laughs> but uh, that's, hey, that's what happens when Greg gets going on gardening. Greg gets, yes. Greg gets going on gardening. Are you hey, serious? Man. That was an hour? Oh, uh, we're 15. Well, since I hit record initially, I think we're, you know, time time it's edited out, we'll, we'll probably be down around 45. Right. Yeah, right. no, it's cool. It's cool. So uh, thanks again, everyone, for tuning in and don't forget to check out the show notes at uh, maritimegardening.com slash 007. Anything, any final notes you wanted to add, Greg? Oh, just that's the general uh, general uh, summary is just, you know, don't try to get too fancy your first year. Don't get overambitious. Failure is toxic. Success is intoxicating. Yeah. Plant things that are yield results um, and, you know, start experimenting uh, as you get some success under your belt. Uh, nice. just, there's nothing, nothing feels better than success when you're gardening. Nothing cool. like going out in your garden and everything's growing and you can eat it. It's a great feeling. Sounds good. I can't wait to get to your garden and eat what's in it. <laughs> <laughs> great. So uh, anyway, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, once again, if you're not on our email list and all we do with that email list is just send out updates about upcoming episodes or previously published episodes, and maybe the odd tidbit about something going on, uh, just go to maritimegardening.com. On the right-hand side, you should see a uh, subscribe 
form. If not, maybe when, when you're about to exit the site, one will pop up. Just put your email address in there. We will not spam you. Uh, you'll just get updates on what's going on. Also, um, if you are listening on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcast app you're using, uh, a good rating for this show, if you're enjoying it, would help us out quite a bit. So uh, check that out. And um, yeah, I think that's it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on episode eight. Thanks, Greg. Thank you. All right, bye-bye.